You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf with Healthicity. And today we have, I think, a very interesting topic about improv. And what everyone's thinking, how does improv work with coding, compliance, healthcare? Well, we have Dr. Mike Smith on to uh, share a little bit about this topic. Welcome, Mike. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. We're really glad to have you. And I was just really grateful to, to um, you know, communicate with you and be introduced to you by one of our other guests, actually. And because I think this topic is fascinating. And so, but before we get to the topic, uh, Mike, would you mind sharing just a little bit about yourself professionally and, you know, what's kind of brought you to doing what you're doing? Sure. Yeah. So I'm an academic hospitalist at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. I did my residency and a chief resident year at Tulane University in New Orleans. Yeah. And then I, my wife and I moved back to Omaha in 2014. I had just torn my ACL around that time okay. and was kind of bummed about it because most of my identity was wrapped up in playing sports, playing intramurals, being active and whatnot. And that hindered me and really affected my identity. So my wife and I were both from here, excited to come back. But at the same point, I was kind of in a transition period and sure. kind of what my life was about. That Christmas, my lovely wife got me improv lessons at a local theater. Okay. Prior to that, I had no formal or informal training in anything theater related. And so I just started going to that once a week and just kind of kept kept at it. And then yeah. it slowly worked its way into all of my all of the different aspects of my life, especially my work as a hospitalist here in Omaha. Yeah, and, and that's so fascinating to me. And, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more. Uh, maybe before we kind of start our questions, could you just tell us what improv is in, in the context that we're going to be talking about it? I mean, you're not asking the listeners to become stand-up comedians, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did a workshop once and at the end, someone said, can we do an improv anywhere? And I realized at that time that they had no idea what improv was at the end of my presentation. So that's very... Very good question, because I, I think a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what improv is and what it is not. So improv is any performance that's made up on the spot. And so like short form improv would be whose line is it anyway, as the probably the most famous example of that long form improv. Most people have heard of people who end up in Saturday Night Live coming from Second City in Chicago or right. Upright Citizens Brigade. They're a handful of very famous theaters. Um, and so that's a much longer production that's made up on the spot, usually from some suggestion that the audience gives and is never performed again. Gotcha. 
Yeah, interesting. So tell us a little bit then about this connection with improv and, and your job in healthcare. How did that come to be and, and how is it serving you? Yeah, yeah. So as I said, it was just a nice way for me to get out of the house one night a week. And right. I just kind of kept at it. And at a conference, I ran into a mentor of mine and I told him I was doing it. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm sure that helps you in your role as a hospitalist. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. In the back of my head, I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> uh, but I just went with it. And as the classes went on, there we'd have breaks in the classes. And I'd come back to improv class and I wouldn't remember anything or it would feel like that. Right. And so I started to think of ways that I could practice the improv skills at my job. Right. And so I started doing that. and. Over that same period, the at the next division meeting, they said the most improved patient satisfaction scores for that period of time, and it was me. I was wow. like, oh, would you look at that? Isn't that wonderful? My improv practice at work is serving a good. Yeah. And so my, my initial excitement was kind of tampered by the idea that I thought I was good at these skills already. And so right. I thought I was a good listener. I thought I was connecting with patients and uh, people liked me. And so it was kind of eye-opening that maybe there are some blind spots in how I was communicating. And so, That's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so that, that was kind of my own revelation about my own performance. And then in 2017, within my immediate family, we had five cancer diagnoses, like month after month after month. Oh, wow. And we're, we're a big family and had not had any uh, major health crisis up to that point. So it was just more interesting that it was concentrated in such a short period of time. However, I saw a lot of very well-intentioned, smart, caring members of the healthcare community cause harm to my family in the way that they communicated. Wow. And the this was kind of a, a greater wake up call to me. Like when have I inadvertently uh, caused harm in the way that I communicated or not communicating uh, effectively with patients and their family members. Right. And, and so the one particular time I told my family member, well, I teach three or four students every couple months, these skills to prevent this. And I realized that that was probably not enough that the skills of improv could solve a lot of the issues that my family members had uh, because of the way it helps you focus on how you communicate uh, effectively, not just get your message across. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and I've had a dear family member who a few years ago also had terminal cancer and kind of went through that, that process. What, if you don't mind, if, if there is something top of mind, what's an example of something that maybe the healthcare provider, the way they were communicating, you know, wasn't helpful and how could they have done it differently with an improv skill? Like what, what would it sound like, or what would it be like from, you know, pre learning these skills and post implementing the skills, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So one time my sister-in-law had labs that were bad, but they had been bad. And so the provider that called my sister-in-law said, hey, your labs are looking bad. Okay. And 
while that's true, it's not in the context of her overall condition. And it caused her a great amount of stress for the next two weeks about what's what are the implications of these bad lab, lab results. Uh, and then she went to see the doctor and the doctor, rather than acknowledging that the this caused stress, just kind of swept it under the rug and kept proceeding on with the treatment plan and th things that are very important. And sure. so I, I'm not saying any of those people are bad or uh, not good doctors or not caring right. in the, in the least that that's kind of my, my main thing is improv skills. The, the focus becomes connection first. So connecting with the patient and building a reality together. And so in that moment, the, my sister-in-law cared most about the this lab communication and what it how it affected her as opposed uh -huh. to what's the long-term treatment plan and all, all of those things are important but i think if you keep in mind that the goal of connection first which is an essential part of anytime you step on an improv stage you're forced to do that whereas in the world you're not as much forced to do it if you keep that in the front of mind it's a lot easier to avoid those miscommunications. I see. So would an example, so like if if you did have to share that, you know, the recent labs uh, were not, you know, as good as you wanted, is it before you share that idea, you have some, you, you, you say something or make some sort of connection with that individual? And, and if so, how do you do that? And then how do you deliver the news of the labs? Is it like saying, well, you know, the labs weren't that good, but that's not the main important thing here. The main important thing is, you know, your long-term treatment or how, how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think there are two separate issues. I think the provider that called my sister-in-law, the kind of principle that's practiced on improv stage is low inference language. So being okay. clear what exactly you mean, what ex not leave the response up to the interpretation of your scene partner. And so saying what the labs were and what the, the next steps are. So your Billy Rubin was 2.9. We're going to need to bring you in to see the doctor sooner than before, which uh -huh. is may sound the same, but that's less worrisome and less, less dependent upon the listener than saying your labs were bad. Yes. And then... Yeah. The, the next improv principle would be for the physician whose main goal is to transmit the long-term treatment plan or the, the kind of near-term next steps is connecting with the patient first and saying yes to their reality. So okay. saying yes to, yes, you're upset that this was communicated in this way. I, I feel very bad about that. We'll work on uh, how those things are communicated to you and other patients in the future. And then just get on that same page. And once you get that connection, build from there, that sense of trust, I think has to be there for any long-term treatment plan anyway. So I think that's, uh, there are two different improv principles that you have to practice on the improv stage. You have to use low inference language and you have to say yes to your scene partner's reality otherwise the scene just doesn't work and there are no 
real world consequences to a scene not working, but you get the same practice and the joy that comes from that connection uh, makes it worthwhile. And so you understand the importance of it on a deeper way, in my opinion, while practicing it on the improv stage. Yeah, that is so fascinating. So that makes a lot of sense to me. So low inference, you know, you know, the difference between, oh, your labs are bad versus, you know, because the person uh, hearing that news doesn't know what that means, right? Does it mean I'm dying tomorrow? Does it mean, like you said, your Billy Rubin was this and it means we need to do this. That's much more lower. It's a lower inference because the person then you're just telling them the fact as opposed to, you know, an interpretation and then they don't know what bad means. Um, right. And then I think you call it your scene partner, right? That that's mm-hmm. the person you have to make a connection with them. Um, and so that's going to be different for each patient probably, right? The way you make that connection. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that again is practice and improv. You step out on stage and you may have an idea of what you want to communicate, but you don't know what your scene partner's communicating in that moment. And so that sense of finding balance when you're off balance is practiced on an improv stage that is a necessary skill in my in my job in the hospital, going from patient to patient to patient who has different expectations, different goals, different understandings. And so I have to come in fresh every single time in every single patient room because that's what I would want for my family member. Yeah, oh, that's so that's like refreshing when I hear you say that. If if all of our you know caregivers, you know, doctors, nurses, whoever could could uh you know focus on that i think and again like you said none of these individuals are bad they they have good intentions you know it's just trying to apply new skills to to improve that interaction yeah exactly and i i think that that's what i mean what i mean when i had that realization that i may have caused harm to other people's family members in the way that i communicated because i i'm sure i was not perfect And I know that I was trying my best. I know that I was caring for them and wanted the best for them. But the improv skills and practice kind of opened the door to me exploring those ideas that I could be doing it better in a fun way. So improv practice is always fun and laughter filled. And so it kind of eases these difficult topics uh, into uh, my consciousness. Oh, that is so great, Mike. Um, we're going to ask you some more questions. We're going to take a real quick break, uh, and then we'll be back to ask you some more questions on this because this is a fascinating topic. So hang in there, everybody, and, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Compliance Conversations. We hope the expert information and discussions are a valuable asset to your compliance career. Healthicity also offers software solutions to help people like you manage their compliance programs. Compliance Manager is a comprehensive, all-in-one, customizable solution that will save you time, stress, and make your compliance program more effective. Head over to healthicity.com for a quick demo video to see how Compliance Manager can bring simplicity to your everyday work. Now back to the show. Welcome back from the break, everybody. Uh, We're here with uh, Dr. Mike Smith, and he's teaching us about improv and skills that can be used in in everyday life. And we're he's applying it to he's a physician and he's applying it to the patients that he sees on a regular basis. And and so, uh, Mike, let's talk a little bit about how those activities developed over time. If there's if there's more to say on that point. 
Yeah. And so the first workshops I did and were for the faculty development here. Okay. And all, I came up with five workshops about the ways that improv had helped me as a physician. And so that was kind of the easiest way for me to apply these ideas. Sure. But the people that signed up were from all across campus, including the business office and pe uh, the librarians, all sorts of non-clinical and clinical people that came yeah. together to uh, practice these ideas. And so then I kind of had to change it to fit the people who weren't necessarily uh, going to apply these ideas to patient care. And it worked really, really well. And the workshops had, as I said, people from all across campus, and that was universally seen as a highlight, just getting everyone's perspective on how we go about our day in healthcare and how to get the best results uh, in our job, whatever that particular job may be. Yeah, so, you, had to you had to improvise on your improv. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there was, I, it was literally the first one I was greeting people as they came in and someone said, I, I work in the business office. Will this be applicable to me? And I had to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so from that, I developed three workshop or three more workshops for the library department here. Uh, because okay. there's a librarian there and they said this would be good for our whole department and so it's funny the first year workshops were just advertised as communication workshops right and they sold they sold out the that wait list and everyone wanted to come right and then the next year they i was like oh we can tell people that they're improv workshops and those were kind of a little more difficult to get people to come uh, just yeah. the idea of improv, I think, does scare people or that, does, that connection. Yeah. And so that's been a as I do these each year. So this is the fifth year that we're doing it. And the there are four workshops that I do that are geared towards personal communication. Okay. Like empathy, listening, uh, wellness and emotion. And they're paired with one workshop that's geared towards group communication or leadership principles okay so that's adaptability body language growth mindset and trust in the workplace and so you don't need to attend all of them to get benefit from one but the pairing work really well together to kind of seal in the ideas and practice them both when you're talking to one person versus when you're operating in a group yes yeah, that that's really interesting. When I hear you talk, Mike, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it it rings to me a little bit of being present in the moment and in that unique moment with those unique individuals that you're with. And is that a part of it? I mean, you mentioned your consciousness and those sorts of things. It is kind of being present in the moment a, a key principle of this? Yeah, absolutely. It the they're kind of scaled down versions of that and scaled up versions of that. I would say like in improv, one nice thing is that you if you have a bad show, you'll never have that show again. And the yeah. same thing <laughs> is true for a good show. And so yeah. that that can scale down to an interaction with a colleague. Uh, like I each new interaction is an opportunity to have a more productive interaction. Yes. And just because I had a 
bad interaction with someone, the next person is, should expect me to bring the best that I can to them in that moment. And that is very difficult um, for many people, myself included. Yeah, that's so interesting. Now, Mike, uh, if we can transition just slightly. Uh, so a lot of our listeners, you know, might come from the healthcare coding uh, and compliance world, you know, and I, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with, you know, compliance professionals at your institution and you know, kind of coders. And so people that are, you know, interacting with clinicians, they're maybe not, they might not be clinicians themselves. Um, how do you think these skills could be applicable in those types of interactions? Let's say a coder is, I don't know, presenting audit results or, you know, a, a documentation review to a doctor or those types of things, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's it's very, very applicable. The, the best coders, compliance people that I've interacted with do an amazing job of recognizing the physician's reality that they're working in and right. connecting to that and then building together. And so the, the best ones of the coder compliance world recognize the physician's reality. And then the physicians that I know that are the best at documentation, they understand the reality and the kind of frequent changes in the coding and compliance world as well. And so I think from both ends, there's some natural improv skills in the high performers, in my opinion. Right. But it's a it's a skill if practice can, I think, lead to much better results uh, with a larger group of people. Yeah. Well, you know, and um, so my background, I'm, I'm clinical by background, MD by schooling, but I left the clinical route, you know, decades ago, and I've been doing full-time, you know, coding compliance work. And, and I think, and it maybe just helps me for maybe the first five or 10 seconds of the encounter. <laughs> the fact that I have a little bit of understanding of what that MD or that nurse or whoever might be going through from a clinical perspective, you know, knowing what their day is like, you know, that their day is not focused on documentation, right? Their day is focused on taking care of people. And the documentation is like this sometimes a burden that they have to do. They know it's important, but it's not, you know, why they get up in the morning. Um, and, and I think just when I had that little bit of understanding and I'm like now bringing, you know, coding results or audit results to the doc, it, that helped me. Again, I still had to be good at what I was doing. It maybe gave me five or 10 seconds of, of a connection. <laughs> but yeah. then if, if, you, if you get that door open and it, it sounds like maybe what I was doing, but I didn't know I was doing it was I was trying to practice these skills and I was trying to, uh, maybe I was doing a little improv and I just didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, the the big rule from improv is yes and, where you say yes to the your scene partner's reality and then you add something to it and your scene partner does the same and that way you build a reality together. And so, yeah. as you said, the you coming from, medical school training that gave you some time where you were saying yes to their reality. Like, yes, I can understand, or I can uh, see where uh, this is causing hiccups in your life. And I, I understand that let's figure out a way together that works the best within that reality. Right. 
Yeah, I love that. Yes. And that, I mean, it sounds like I could apply that in so many aspects of my life. I know we're talking our professional life, but I just think my personal relationships and, and those sorts of things that just seems like a magical phrase that I think everyone listening today, if they don't come away with anything else, it seems like yes. And I love yeah, that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And the, I still remember those very first faculty development workshops I did five years ago. The, after the first one and people came back for the second one, I said, did anyone use yes and over the course of the past week? And the one person said, I used it with my son and I was about to yell at him. And then I just said yes to his reality. And he still didn't do the thing that I didn't want him to do. And it turned what could have been a confrontational reaction into a interaction that was positive and enjoyable. And so yeah. I think it very much, very much applies to my personal interactions as well as professional with patients, professional with colleagues. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I think it's life-changing, but I'm very biased. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that, Mike. Uh, tell us too. So people, I think listening to this, I know at least me personally listening to it, I'm like, okay, how can I learn more? How can I explore these skills some more? What are some ways for someone who's listening to explore these skills some more? What would they do? Yeah. So there are improv classes at just about any theater in the country. I'm always surprised with the improv communities that exist out there and how how good they are. It doesn't need to be in a big city like New York, Chicago, or LA. I right. think that's been part of my ability to explore these is because Omaha is a very good scene. There are people who take it very seriously and some that want to move on to some of those bigger cities. And right. also there are people like me who are just going out one night a week to go have fun with friends. And right. so exploring what's available locally is great. There are also a ton of options on the internet. There's something called the Applied Improv Network, and they have all sorts of uh, Zoom experiences, which personally I don't think are as nice as being in person with right. the connection that develops, but it's a great way to kind of dip your toe in, in my opinion. Yeah, that's great. Now, Mike, I know you you do some as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about your workshops are, are they all like local and people would have to be in Omaha or um, do you do any online or zoom type of things or do you have a website or anything that you could share about what you do? Yeah. Yeah. I have a website called healthcareimprov.com. Okay. And so there has links to, I write about these topics regularly on the current thoughts section and in the Omaha area, I do faculty development and workshops that are healthcare improv that is just using improv as a way to explore these skills. So you don't necessarily learn too much improv. It's not necessarily uh, not, not necessary that you become an excellent improviser at these workshops. It's just they create the condition to practice certain skills. Right. And then I actually also teach level one and level two classes at the theater where I learned and currently perform the backline theater in Omaha. Okay. And I've traveled to do workshops in the past uh, and I very much enjoy that and hearing what needs people may have within their group uh, 
I, I recently went to North Carolina and there were a group of third year internal medicine residents okay. who reflected back that they didn't get a med school graduation because of COVID. Yeah. So they graduated in 2020 and everything was canceled. And then they had this improv workshop and it was like the polar opposite, like the <laughs> isolation and uncertainty of uh, COVID 2020 compared with the improv workshop its connection and laughter. They're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum for them. And so that's yeah. really meaningful for me to hear. And I enjoy that. Oh, that's so great to hear. So it sounds like you do some traveling. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, is your website the best way? Do you have another means that you prefer? Yeah, the website is great. And then social media, I think most of them are just HCare Improv on Twitter, Instagram. And I think LinkedIn is just me, Michael Smith. But but there are lots of different ways to connect. And I'm always excited to even just talk about what people are looking at doing and exploring options. Yeah. So you mentioned kind of uh, local theaters. Are these like things at universities and community colleges, theaters, or just like even just like, you know, like I we have a theater in town that puts on plays, but I don't know if they do classes. I, what? How would somebody go about in their local community, do you think? Yeah, I, I think I've... I know a lot of community colleges will have classes available and most okay. theaters will have an improv uh, opportunity available. And I think just exploring, there isn't necessarily a central resource, but if you Google your city or town and improv, there are usually results um, because it it is a very fun activity and a great way to build community. Just yeah. you have a bunch of people saying yes and to each other. And so it's, exactly. It's so it's be a very, very positive group. Exactly. Right. It's it's like an inclusive. It's I love what you said earlier, too, about recognizing their reality. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we all have perceptions. Uh, I know one thing, you know, coders sometimes feel intimidated by going to doctors and sharing, you know, because you know, these doctors have had years and years of school. They're so smart. And, and now I'm bringing you know, coding and they, doctors don't always love it and they feel it's a nuisance. And, and so it's, I think sometimes they feel intimidated, um, but it sounds like if both parties can practice the yes and and recognize each other's reality and, and, and kind of work together, it, it could be a win-win instead of a, you know, a bad experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think it's necessarily uh, guaranteed every time from the those situations I do know some um, artery physicians, but the, a lot of people have similar uh, preconceptions about improv, about, yeah. oh, I'm not nearly creative enough to do that, or I can come up with things on the spot. And that's, as you take improv lessons, you learn that that's, that's not the goal. The goal is just to say yes to what's what's there in front of you. And so if you have the kind of expectation that I need to impress this room full of doctors that would make anyone feel um, not uh, not able to do it, I, I guess. But if you right. just say, I just need to say yes to this these people's reality and kind of meet them where they are, that's a lot easier ask than expecting yourself to impress a room full of people. 
Exactly. That's a great way to put it. Well, Mike, we're, we're coming towards the end. I want to give you an opportunity. If you have any last minute thoughts or comments or uh, anything that you'd like to, to say to kind of sum up uh, what we've been talking about today. Yeah, just uh, I think the more people practice yes and uh, the happier they will be. And to remember that saying yes to another person's reality is in no way giving up, up on your own reality. And so the more we can listen to each other and try to understand people's realities, I think uh, that will make for happier workplaces and happier people in general. Yeah, I love it. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm so grateful that you were able to uh, share some of your expertise and experience in this area. I, I think it was the first time I had heard of it um, and at least put in the, that context of improv. And so uh, thank you so much for your time and, and sharing your experiences. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It's great. And uh, the previous podcast guest is, is my cousin. So uh, we've <laughs> been in communication with these ideas for some time and she's great. And so it's nice to connect to this world as well in this venue. Exactly. And, and, um, and, and, you know, the fact that you've connected with somebody who's kind of in that coding and compliance space, um, I think gives you some unique perspectives too. So thank us. Thanks again. And, um, Everyone that's listening, thank you for, for listening to another episode. If you like these episodes, please um, uh, hit the like button and uh, share it with friends. Um, that's how we get the word out. Um, and we'd love for you to, to share it if you enjoy it. Um, until our next uh, episode, please uh, be safe and, and have a great day, everyone. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.